welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are here today for a very special Pride Month original versus remake episode. And our special guests this week are fucking sexy, they're funny, and they run the best podcast in the world. I'm <laughs> just kidding. It's us! It's just us! It's just us just this week. Just the two of us. Just, just as bitches here in Salford today. Uh, and yeah, and it's original versus remake time. And Chris has kindly uh, actually lent to the theme this year with original versus remake. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, no, no, officially. 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 Oh, I mean, fishing. excuse me. You know, officially. you've got one film that was written as a lesbian film. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got another film with someone in drag, for, essentially, throughout the entire film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely I mean, lesbian listen. themes in that fucking remake. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think so. And uh, I, I believe the director's gay as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. On, on Was I not on theme last year? So last year, we did Fright Night, but uh, the month, literally the month before. Oh. No, Prom Night. Prom Night. Prom, prom Night's gay. Oh. We heard that soundtrack. Yeah, and the Balaclava was glittery. Um... And Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, is a gay icon. But yes, today we are here discussing both versions of Suspiria. <laughs> What's that? What? The twins you've on there, Suspiria. Yeah, Italian. Um, before we get into it, poll results. Um, there's no right or wrong answer, really, with this one. Uh, you said 73%, 27%, 73% making the original the winner. Uh, 27% the remake. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, you know how everyone likes to normally wind me up and vote for the remake. <laughs> it's normally shit. Um, no, you, it, yeah, it doesn't matter this time because they're both masterpieces. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think 73% is, is right. It feels right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't fault either of these films, so I, no, I have nothing to say. No, Um... I'm just here to deliver your results. That sounds like a shit doctor. Um, so, we haven't done a saw month because we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to keep the guests too long, you know, in their busy schedules. Um, but we have a socials roundup. Ooh. And if you like this, we could just do this all the time rather than weekly. It's up to you. Um, professionalism. So. Are you talking to me? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> If you prefer it this way, we'll we'll do it this way. Well, I I yeah yeah. You don't care. No. Um. So Cliff from the Devil Times Five podcast on Twitter, uh, said in regards to Suspiria, I find the remake to be more to be a more wholly satisfying, nourishing film. But there's no denying the power of the light and music and horrors in the original. Ultimately, the version with Tilda Swinton and Mia Goth in it was always going to be the superior one. Okay. And and I think that's a reasonable thing to it say. Is. It, it, it is. It is. It, it's difficult, and it's going to be a difficult episode to today to probably to listen to, uh, but that's usually <laughs> the case. Um, but it's, We're it's going to be difficult because it is, you're clutching at straws to find any um, any real reason to go for one over the other. You, you're just clutching at straws. Yeah, we're literally going to have to tally up who gets what. Um, at our final... Yeah, um, I think so. Usually yeah. it's a done deal yeah. before. Yeah. Um, have we come close before? Um, I mean, we did Cat People. 
Where we both had different opinions on who won. Yeah. I, there's been a few surprise. I mean, Hill survives. I was surprised. Last us on the left, all three. Yeah. All good. Well, well, yeah. Hey, what? Yeah, but there wasn't much in it. There wasn't no. when you really looked at it. Anyway. Anyway, on, on anyway. Uh, very exciting. At the start of the month, Catherine Newton liked our tweet recommending Freaky for our private month listeners um, and followers and whatnot. But yeah, no, Catherine Newton is an absolute slay queen. It's not actually, you know, it, it wasn't a message or anything. I just thought I'd mention it because it's very cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sean Freeman. And you celebrate everyone. Exactly. Sean Freeman, double one oh seven on Instagram, said uh, in regards to Suspiria, original no contest. Okay, Han. Uh, Matt Halps on Instagram in ref- in regards to Lost Boys said Lost Boys is still really watchable masterpiece, and that it is, uh, and <laughs> creeping it in the family <laughs> in regards to our serial mum episode said Sharon <laughs> creeping it in the family podcast that is go go give them a listen uh, said Sharon with her taser is a queen. And uh, they're not going to have anyone speak a word against her. It's true. Don't worry, we ain't either. We're not, no. And the lovely Everything is Retro, such a sweetheart, said, really enjoying your, pad- your podcast. <laughs> Love that podcast. Love your podcast, guys. Good fun, honest reviews and great chemistry. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. So sweet. Very sweet. And in regards to people being very sweet... We have surpassed 3,000 downloads. Yeah. On... Uh, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, that side of things. That's not even counting SoundCloud. So, amazing. Uh, again, we just can't thank you all enough for still listening to us talk shit. Does downloads mean listens? Downloads means you can download it and you can listen to it as much as you want. So oh. people could be listening to our voices on repeat. Yeah, I've had that before. Uh, straining orders still. Uh... I'm I'm pretty sure these days to listen to a podcast episode you have to download it anyway. I mean, if you just listen on Spotify, you're just listening, aren't you? Yeah, and you you do know you can download stuff on Spotify. I'm gonna wear yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. But either way, that's that's great. No, no, great. No, I just fucking out. No, bring just the mood just down. Man, excuse me. Have you got anything to say? Probably should have asked that before the episode, but still. Got anything nice to say to the three thousand kid darlings? Yeah, yeah, very pleased. Thank you very much. <laughs> we do appreciate it, honestly. Even though some of us aren't very convincing. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> I'm doing high kicks as we speak. You just Good. can't see me. Uh, <laughs> keep keep doing it. Keep keep downloading us. Keep listening yes. to us talk shit. Yes. Thank, thank you very much. And I, I love these interactions as well, these these comments and everything. I really do. Um, it's nice to hear what people think of the films. Um, it's It would be nice if people disagreed with us to, you know... Oh, fucking hell, don't ask for that. Conversation <laughs> starters, you know. Um, not not really. I, I, I don't really um, interact with people, but Gary likes it, so... <laughs> I might start posting a little more. If, Chris uh... is available on request. Yeah. <laughs> if you're on social media and you'd like to speak to Chris, uh, then we are Horacle Trash Ever on Facebook and Instagram and Horacle Trash on Twitter. Keep keep it coming. Um, but for today, we are now going to discuss Suspiria. Starting with Suspiria, released in 1977. Directed by Master of Horror, Dario Argento. Real up-and-coming um, talent. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, direct, he, director of such classics as Tenebrae, Phenomena, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Opera, Inferno, uh, The Cat and Nine Tales, Four Flies and Grey Velvet. I could go on forever. He's He's got an extensive filmography. Deep Red. Deep Red. Dracula 3D. Um, yeah, well. Uh, surprise, uh, this really surprised me. Budget is nowhere to be found on the internet. Oh. Absolutely nowhere to be found. Um, but it made worldwide $35,694. That doesn't seem right. Who no. That? Um, Who said that? Well, Wikipedia. Um, no, I don't trust that. What was it IMDb? I don't, one of them. Either way, uh, I double-checked it with that official budget yeah. web, numbers website and, yeah. Oh, wow. That's not very good, is it? Well, it's a cult film, so... I, I, I mean, I don't know. Is that is that good? We need um, last week's box office expert guest to come back on and tell us. Is yeah, that... yeah. Surely that doesn't seem, doesn't seem a lot. Worldwide gross? Mm. Under 40,000? Must have must just been... Yeah, I'm just assuming it's made more now from Blu-ray oh, absolutely. sales. Absolutely. Uh, so there's at least 20 different versions of it. Yeah. Blu-ray. We're getting into it uh, with a trivia. Director Dario Argento's original idea was that the ballet school would accommodate young girls no older than 12 years old. However, the studio and producer Salvatore Argento, his father, denied his request because a film this violent involving children would almost certainly be banned. Dario raised the age limit of the girls to 20 years, but did not rewrite the script. Hence the uh, strange goings on between the characters. Yeah, there's and the a weird naivete, dialogue. Isn't there? Yeah. Naivete with the characters. Yeah, the occasional childlike dialogue as well. He also put uh, all the doorknobs at about the same height as the actresses' heads, so they would have to raise their arms in order to open the doors like children. Yeah, yeah. One thing, the sets are huge, and then yeah. they look huge, and they feel huge, and the, you know, the cast do look very small compared mm-hmm. to um, the the building. Yeah, absolutely. The woman playing Helen and Marcos was not credited. According to Jessica Harper, she was a 90-year-old former prostitute who directed Dario Argento found on the streets of Italy. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> um, Argento had cinematographer Luciano Tavoli watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to have him model the colour scheme of that film for this one. Oh. And it... Yeah. yeah. It's, spoiler alert, it works. It does. Uh, Argento composed the creepy music with Goblin and played it a full blast on set to unnerve the actors and elicit a truly scared performance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to Jessica Harper, since the film was going to be dubbed after principal photography, sound was rarely recorded during shooting. Harper remarked that it was strange to her to be in the middle of shooting a scene and hearing the background sound of a stagehand hammering away on another set in the studio. <laughs> Udo Kier's appearance was so rushed for him that he had little time to completely read the script when it was given to him. Since the movie was filmed without sound and was later dubbed, a crew person lying on the ground behind the stone wall bench where he was sitting uh, with Jessica Harper was telling him his lines as he gave them to her. Nice. Lovely. Yeah, Udo Kier, he's really not really in it that much. No. <laughs> when you think of it as an Udo Kier film, it's just like, who was he? Which one was he again? Are you asking me? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. 
Um, the film is the first part of a trilogy entitled the Three Mothers Trilogy, uh, alongside Inferno and Mother of Tears. We've not seen Mother of Tears. Inferno um, was a video nasty, and everyone seems to really love it, I think. I thought it was good at best. I think maybe we need to give it a, a another go. I mean, because we enjoyed it, mm. but a lot of people love it. Yeah. I mean, it's very much the case uh, of the cinematography is back from Suspiria. The, you know, there's a great soundtrack, but that's just a big chunk where it slows down a bit too much. It, yeah, it's not the quick. I, I think if you're used to Suspiria, which is like, rah, like mm. really in your face. Um, it's a, it's a different film, very different. Originally, the film Suspiria, of course, not Inferno, was going to star Darren Nicolodi, who was director Argento's girlfriend at the time, and who also wrote the screenplay. Nicolodi ultimately did appear in the film twice. Uh, she can be glimpsed in the film's opening sequence that shows Susie walking through the airport, and she provides the voice of Helena Marcos. Nice. I did. I did see her actually. In the, in the beginning, I was like, oh, there she is. Jessica Harper turned down a part in Annie Hall to star in this. Ah, did she? Mm. She'd worked... I'm not sure if she'd worked with Alan before this film. Um, I think she certainly worked with him after in Stardust Memories. She is in a few Woody Allen films, yeah. Well, it's Stardust Memories and Love and Death that she's in. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it wouldn't be the, I, she wouldn't have been Annie Hall, so, yeah, why would you, why would you turn down a lead in an Argento film for what I assume would have been the, uh, Carol Kane part? Yeah. Entertainment Weekly ranked this as the 18th scariest film of all time, and it is scary, it, it, it really is, I mean, especially that third act, I think they very much emphasised that on the marketing as well, with the poster, that says the scariest... The, the only thing scarier than the last eight minutes is the first 92 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I find Suspiria scary in the sense of... It's an attack of the senses. Mm. And we'll get on to that more. Yeah. But yes, I agree. I agree. The 20th... 18th, yeah? You, 18th, you agree? Okay. exactly. Dead on. 20th Century Fox brought the American film distribution rights to the film. To the film distribution to the film? Anyway, but due to its violent content, released it through a subsidiary uh, International Classics. The film was cut by eight minutes to attain an R rating in the US. Despite all this, this was uh, Fox's seventh highest grossing film of the year. So I assume there's something up with that. Something up with that figure. Yeah, yeah. Um, That kind of (laughs) ruins the marketing though, doesn't it? I know, yeah. (laughs) It's like, take off eight minutes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> What's well, ninety two minus eight? <laughs> and uh, bringing it to, actually, do you know what? I'm gonna leave this one till after the trivia because this oh, answers a question. Okay. Dario Argento is gonna answer one of our regular questions today. Wow. Um, he was inspired to make this film by stories of uh, Nickelodeon's grandmother, who claimed to have fled from a German music academy because witchcraft was being secretly practiced there. Oh, okay, so that's dead on then, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he, you say inspired. <laughs> um, it's pretty much dead on. And the film's finale was inspired by a dream that uh, Darren Nicolodi once had, where in the dream she had encountered an invisible witch, and most bizarrely, there was a panther in the room with her that suddenly exploded. 
The dream was written into the film, but it's uh, a porcelain, obviously, rather than a tiger that explodes. Panther. A panther, yeah. So, what makes this gay? I'm going to tell you what makes this gay. You tell us. What makes this gay? In an interview for Xavier Mendick's book, Dario Argento, uh, the book is uh, Bodies of Desire and Bodies in Distress, Dario Argento revealed that he felt the female-centric film could be viewed as a lesbian story. He said, I wasn't primarily interested in the theme of motherhood, but rather in women's lives. In fact, if you want to give a deeper reading of the film, it is vaguely a lesbian story. Where lesbianism has a certain importance, or more precisely, where the relationships between women are sometimes of a lesbian nature and are characterised by power struggles. There aren't any male characters to speak of in the film. All there is is power relationships between women. Yeah. I, th- I think you could definitely read Sarah as queer. Yeah. That's what I, I thought. And I thought potentially there was a relationship between her and Pat. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And that's exactly why I chose it. Because I absolutely of course. read the lesbian. Um, Not to mention... Times. As soon as uh, Tanner... Is it Tanner? I don't think it's Tanner, actually. Um, the one who tells Sprint and plays in the remake. Oh. Um, is it Tanner? Okay. I don't know. I'm just going to literally scroll down to my notes and find okay, out. Okay, Tannis. Madame Blanc. Madame Blanc. She gives Jessica Harper fuck me eyes as soon as she sees her. She's just a bit, yeah. As soon as she sees her, she she wants a bit of that. You uh, can tell. Oh, yeah. I think you could definitely read the teachers yeah. as um, lesbians. Yeah. And and very much like uh, the Lost Boys episode, I don't know if there's a straight character in this, because the men are definitely fucking gay. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Well, one of them tries to flirt with Susie, doesn't he? Yeah, but then they later say, oh, no, we know he's gay or whatever. No, they thought he they was. They thought he was gay, yeah. I mean, and he, he, let's face it, he, he clearly was. Maybe he was in on it. and uh, He was standing... Trying uh, to... Jessica well, Jessica Harper, Harper of course. Um, but maybe he was trying to distract her from uh, finding the witches. Yeah. Mm. So, Suspiria 2018, <clears throat> directed by... Can you say this director's name so uh, we get the pronunciation right? Yeah, Luca... Guadagnino. 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 Again, we're professionals. Uh, Director of Call Me By Your Name, A Bigger Splash, I Am Love, Melissa P, The Protagonist, and more. Yeah, this is a real um, step away from the usual, is usual stuff, isn't it? Yeah. um, Call Me By Your Name, of course, is a masterpiece, and everybody should be watching it. Pride Month. Uh, a bigger splash. I feel like you've spoke about that before. Yeah. So a bigger splash is if you remember, I bought a David Hockney documentary called A Bigger Splash, mm. and somebody kept talking to me about it. But what they were actually talking about was this bit. A bigger splash. Oh, okay. So it's a different film. Yeah. Um. It's a. I think if I remember it correctly, Tilda Swinton. And Dakota Johnson are both in it. And it's about somebody bringing along his mistress on a holiday. and So very much centred around um, family drama. So, mm. again, you know, completely um, different to Suspiria remake. 
Uh, this was made on a budget of twenty million dollars, and it only made seven point nine million. Mm. That is shocking. It had a very limited theatrical release. Though. I mean, we had to we had to travel to see it at the cinema. Yeah, and I'm gonna say it. It's not for everyone. No. It's 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 really not for everyone. It's much longer than the original film. It's much bleaker. We'll get into this. But it's not... I can I can understand why it's the 70% in our poll for the original. Because I, I genuinely... We appreciate it. We love it. Some people prefer it to the original. But I think as a general... A, a general horror fan who goes, you know, to the cinema and watches all the new releases and such, it just might not... It might just be a little too out there. This... A little too... Um, different. This is finally uh, an example I could use for what I say on the podcast quite a lot about um, the different phases of horror and whatnot. This is the perfect example for how horror has progressed and this new, polished, stylish, mm. um, you know, very well made type of horror that's came about um, through the likes of Ariasta. Uh, Gaspar Noe, obviously, with, with Climax, I mean, he's been doing it for a while, but obviously Climax more recently. Um, yeah. What else am I thinking of? So, you got any other examples for this? Um, Jordan Peele? Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Peele. Peele. Um, it's, it, yeah. Oh, um, I'm thinking of ending things. You know, it's that sort of surreal... Um, but made like a film that's going for a fucking Oscar. It, it, yeah. is, it is exquisite. And I, I've never used that word on this podcast, but it is. Like, every frame of this film, there's so much thought put into it. And it, yeah, it just fits into that modern style that's slowly creeping up. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into it more as, as, we, as we compare the two. Um, but yeah, it, essentially it's, um, it's hard to describe, but there is this, it is in keeping with this new sort of, um, sophisticated, sophisticated. And I, I mean, that, that sounds a bit, I mean, there's, you know, there's a chest vagina at the end, but it, you know, sophisticated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, it's hard to describe, but sophisticated is the word we're going to use, but I think it might be a little condescending. Yeah, sophisticated in comparison to the two thousand, the two and the the two thousands and the twenty ten. So yeah. you know, well, not the twenty ten. This was a twenty ten. In comparison to the two thousands, when horror was very much trying to look ugly, it was you know the whole torture porn thing and everything. Yeah. And then if you didn't have that, you had your remakes and whatnot. But then this comes along, and it is, you know, what non horror fans would probably call a proper film. Yeah. You know, if if you if you go into a film looking for something really well made, really well put together and well thought out, this is this is your film. Yeah, it it's it, it's it's a the kind of films that have a, a rich narrative, mm. and they, they feel like horror's tacked onto layers. It. Yeah. yeah, it's it's as if they're using horror to say or do something else. Yeah, uh, but in keeping with horror, whereas. You know, a lot of horror is just there to be gruesome or to yeah. be scary. Um, there's these films that say or, or do something else. 
shouldn't necessarily make them better. No. Um, but we're seeing these richer uh, narratives in horror and um, richer performances, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- there's more to it, no- more nuanced, um, if I'm using that word correctly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and we're seeing that. Um, you know, it's it's a good thing, you know, yeah. but, you know, you still want your um, cheapo slasher films as well. Yeah. <laughs> we can enjoy both. So, Jessica Harper, who plays Susie, of course, in the original, appears late in the film as Dr. Klemperer's wife, Ankh. In an interview with her and screenwriter David uh, Kajganik, yeah, I think about that, at the film's Fantastic Fest premiere, uh, the writer revealed he and director for Ankh would be the best character for Harper to play. Uh, The director contacted her and proposed the idea, which she immediately agreed to, and then she immediately contacted the Berlitz school to learn and practice German for her scenes, as uh, she had lied to the director about speaking the language. Ah. For Harper, the hardest thing to do was to get the dialect right whilst walking backwards. Yeah, we shouldn't have any dancing to do. Um, Well, that'd be a shock to (laughs) sustain that. The Krabby Cook. Krabby Cook. Yeah, well, um, should we just talk about how much we stand Jessica I was going to do that when we get to the character comparisons. Okay. And, but, yeah. Yeah, but it's different. I mean, that's separate from the role itself. Because well, we stand up for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, if you go onto YouTube and type the Krabby Cook, you'll be in for a treat. You will. Yeah. Yeah, she, she is fucking massively underrated as an actress. Yeah. And singer. Yeah, oh god. Yeah. Um she she's pretty much I think she's a bit of a cult icon. Mm. Um I don't think she did much mainstream work um apart from the Allen films and it, she was in uh, Pennies from Heaven with um Steve The Showgirl sequel. No. <laughs> no. Um but she's she's a bit of a cult film actress. Um and yeah, we just we love everything that she's been in, everything that you know, uh, even the crabby cook. Uh, we just we just stand her. She was she casually went to the Oscars with Leonardo DiCaprio. She did. She she's married to um quite a a, a big producer, so mm-hmm. it was the Golden Globe. She was sat next to a uh, what on the same table as Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, which she, he should be very grateful for. <laughs> she needs more roles. She's amazing. Um, I, yeah, in every way possible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but do you know what? Dakota Johnson, that is how you do a fucking comeback. Comeback from what? You know what. <laughs> Dakota Johnson uh, completed two years of ballet training in preparation for her role in this film. Dakota Johnson, of course, was the lead actress in Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, I've had the unfortunate... Um, displeasure uh, of watching Fifty Shades of Grey and it is fucking dog shit uh, but then you know she has come back with this she was amazing in Bad Times at the Al Royale and again she, she's just a really fantastic actress she's become a meme sensation she's become a meme sensation she took down she Ellen she took down Ellen um, yeah she's, she's a good actress uh, I think I need to see her in more to really um, 
to really give a a, a, a true opinion. But it's it's the thing that she's obviously. Bad Times at the Isle Royale and Suspiria aren't exactly the most mainstream films. So, like, whereas Fifty Shades of Grey, everybody knows Fifty Shades of Grey. So, the sad thing is, she's probably going to be associated with that for most of her career. Yeah, it's essentially. I and mean, that was, I mean, I think that was, like, her first role. Uh, her first, like, major role. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah, she was in... Um, the Social Network before that. Oh, okay. Um, ironically, she was in a film called For Ellen as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she had very minor roles in like comedies and stuff. Mm. So I think Fifty Shades was her breakout role. Um, you do you do know who her parents are, don't you? No. Um, Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. But yes, Dakota Johnson deserves better. And thankfully, this is better. Um, Unlike the original film, which uses exaggerated colours, the director conceived Suspiria as winterish and bleak, absent of primary colours. In an interview... What do you mean? Oh, were you, like, surprised? (laughs) Are you... (laughs) It's the way you worded it. It was nice. In an interview with Elle magazine, Dakota Johnson revealed that the intensity of the shoot had fucked her up so much that she had to go to therapy. Bloody hell. Um, yeah, because this film actually has dancing in it. Um, <laughs> it does actually have dancing in it. <laughs> and really fucking good dancing at that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For the main part. <laughs> um, the writer wanted the dance to, uh, the, the main dance to directly reflect uh, women's movements and emotions. So the inspiration for the choreography came from female dancers Mary Wigman, Pina Balsh, and Sasha Waltz, modern dance is notably much more integral to the plot of this remake uh, than ballet was to its original version, despite both being set in dance academies. <laughs> yeah. um, I believe Dario Argento may have voted for the original on the poll, um, because <laughs> although he gave permission to produce this remake, he was dismissive of the final results in an interview with IndieWire from August 2016. Either you do it, he said, either you do it exactly the same way, in which case it's not a remake, it's a copy which is pointless, or you change things and you make another movie. In that case, why call it Suspiria? Well, I mean, you don't really give the director many options there, Argento. Um, Argento also said that what's really absurd is that he was never asked about anything concerning the remake. Nobody asked him about casting, locations or anything else. Um, Luca Guadagino told The Hollywood Reporter in 2018 that he's friends with Argento, who called him after he saw the film, and although he didn't want to relay Argento's reaction, he said it was a great call. Oh, dear. (laughs) In an interview with Italy's Radio Radio 1, um, not quite the same as BBC, I don't think, um, in January 2019, Argento said the film did not excite him. It, betray- it betrayed the spirit of the original film. Uh, there's no fear. Um, there's no music. Um, the film has not satisfied me so much. Argento added that it was a refined film, um, like Luca uh, Guadagino, who is a fine person. Guadagino makes beautiful tables, beautiful curtains, beautiful dishes, all beautiful. Dario Argento is... is, is he can be a strange guy, can't he? 
it's a weird one because he's kind of contradicting himself. Yeah, he says you are, he says you either do exactly the same, which why is what's the point, or you go completely different and why call it a remake? I think. He, I, I think the the remake actually is somewhere in between the two. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is what he was getting at. Mm. You know, it takes inspiration from the original. It um, makes it its own and, and does something different with it. It's got the same story. Completely, yeah, without being completely out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, d- I, d- I suppose... I suppose... It, in many aspects, the films are completely different, though. Yeah. And a lot of what uh, is quintessential Argento in the original film is gone. Yeah. So maybe that's why he had an issue with it. Yeah. Uh, a remake of Suspiria was announced in the early 2000s after Guagino uh, had acquired the option from the original film's writers, Argento and Nicolodi. Uh, the director offered the project to director David Gordon Green, um, but it was cancelled due to financing conflicts. In September 2015, uh, Guadagino confirmed his plans to direct with the film described as a homage to the 1977 film rather than a direct remake. Argento could have, you know, done with that bit of information. Uh, A new (laughs) screenplay was drafted by uh, the eventual screenwriter who had written uh, the director's previous project, Bigger Splash, and they set the film during the German autumn of 1977 to explore the themes of generational guilt in Germany following World War II. Which, yeah, I really like that setting. I think it works. Yeah, I think it it works as well. Um, It... The setting is, is kind of a character in itself. Yeah. Um, and the time period is very important. Yeah. Uh, to the look and the feel of the film. Um, yeah, again, it just... It, it's a weird... We'll get into it more. It, it I, I could understand why Argento maybe didn't like it. <laughs> the first footage premiered at the 2018 CinemaCon presentation... It was said to be so intense and disturbing that some audience members left midway through. <gasps> we know what scene they showed, then. I was going to say, I, I mean, there's one standout scene that I was like, Ugh. Uh, The David Gordon Green version was going to star Natalie Portman and Judy Dench in the leads. That would have worked really well. What year was that? Uh, so 2008. So that's before Black Swan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's before Natalie Portman and sort of, oh... I mean, really, kind of Black Swan is a bit like oh, it's very much like horror this. based in a dance hall, yeah, yeah, isn't it? Um, the now infamous dance hall of mirror scene where Olga's body twists uh, and contorts in excruciating pain, synchronized with Susie's dancing, had close to zero CGI, according to the director. Oh wow, Elena Falkina. Um, being a trained contortionist and ballet dancer, in addition to having hypermobility, um, which is flexible joints, performed all of these stunts herself. Wow. Props yeah. to her, then, because, you know, it looks very painful. Um, and, of course, talking about, in Alexandra Burke's words, the elephant in the room, Tilda Swinton... 
and her performance as Dr. Joseph Klemperer. It came about when both Swinton and the director thought that in a movie centering on women, it felt right to have a woman also play the principal male character. During filming, only a few cast members and virtually none of the extras knew that it was really Swinton in heavy makeup. They purposely credited a fictitious German actor called Lutz Ebersdorf as Klemperer to hide this fact. The ruse would have gone as far as stating that this actor had already passed away during the editing phase, oh, wow. which would have explained his absence at the film's premiere, but Swinton and the director thought this was a step too far. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, we'll get into performances later, but fuck me. Has, has Tilda Swinton won an Oscar yet? Yes. Oh, good, good. She won Best Supporting Actress for Michael Clayton. Because this performance... Both of them. It's phenomenal. She is just so good yeah. at everything. Yeah. And it, it's you sit there and she comes on screen and you stan her because it's Tilda Swinton. And then you forget it's Tilda Swinton. Are you genuinely doing everything I've ever seen yeah. her in? I forget it's Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Because, and, and she doesn't look different. No. I mean, she doesn't age. And um, she might be bold in one of the films, but she she doesn't look completely different in, in all these films, unless she's playing an old man. Uh, but you genuinely believe that she is these characters, yes. which is the sign of a, a real, truly great actress. I think it's something we've said on the podcast before. If the you know if anyone ever wants to make an actually an actual good um, David Bowie biopic. It needs to be Tilda Swinton who plays him. Yeah. And I can elaborate on that because in one of his later music videos, she did play him. Yeah. Did you know? Oh, do you already know that? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought you'd be surprised. <laughs> Fuck. If Kate Blanchett can do it with uh, Bob Dylan, yeah. surely uh, Tilda Swinton yeah. can do it with Just put her in Bowie. anything. I, I don't even care. She put her in everything. She genuinely makes everything she's in so much better. Even The Dead Don't Die, you know, what a fucking mediocre film. But then Tilda Swinton shows up. It's the best thing about it. Yeah. Yeah, really, just a wonderful, wonderful actress um, in every aspect. And that also leads me to what makes this gay? Um, I mean, that simple fact alone, that Tilda Swinton plays a man. Yeah. Yeah, she is essentially in drag. Essentially. Um, throughout this whole two and a half hour film. Yeah. Um, as well as playing herself as well. Uh, well, not herself, but, you know, a female character. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, you know, those, the, the one thing that carries over from the original film is those lesbian themes that Dario Argento spoke about, because, you know, even more so in this one with the fact that you never hear of a man in, uh, Susie's life. No. You know, she, there's, there's no random male character to have a quick flirt with. Um, no one in this film really addresses anyone's sexuality. No. So, you know, that's left to interpretation. But again, the way uh, Tilda Swinton acts with Dakota Johnson, it's very much, you know, that's that's flirting there. Yeah. And then also, I I think, again, the teachers themselves. Yeah. I do think that potentially, you know, there are lesbian elements to the coven. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, there's really not many men, um, but the one scene with a man and he's got his uh, 
bits and pieces on display and they're laughing. Yeah, they're laughing at it. They're laughing at it, you know. They they have no interest in, you know, men's bits and pieces. And and the way Olga acts about um, Patricia... Mm. Um, and her disappearance, you know, it's kind of implied that there's more going on there. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so they're getting into the films. You're first. Yes. So, Dario Argento's Suspiria. Susie Banyan, a young American ballet student, arrives in Freiburg, Baden-Württemberg, Germany, during a torrential downpour to study at the Coed Tanz Dance Academy a prestigious German dance school. She sees another student, Pat Hingle, flee the school in terror. Susie is refused entry to the school and forced to stay in town overnight. Pat takes refuge at a friend's apartment and tells her that something sinister happened at the school. Um, and again, I think, I think definitely Pat, I think you could definitely read Pat as a queer character. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think she was definitely... I I would absolutely say that she went to an ex-girlfriend's yeah. uh, apartment. Mm-hmm. Pat is ambushed by a shadowy figure who stabs her repeatedly and drags her to the roof of the apartment building before hanging her with a noose by throwing her through the building's skylight. And one scene that I always knew from this film. Yeah. Years before I'd even watched it, like, that one scene I'd seen in a magazine somewhere, I think it was Empire magazine, and it just stood out to me. And I was, I was too scared to watch it for a long time. It, it's iconic. Yeah. It, it genuinely yeah. is. And I know that word's thrown around a lot, but it is genuinely an iconic image of Pat hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. And the whole stabbing through the heart as well. No fucking film was going there in no, 1977. No, it's, it's, yeah. I, I mean, literally, stabbing through the heart. I mean, the chest is open and you can see the knife going into yeah, the yeah. heart. And then these spurts of blood coming out the heart. You know, yeah. it, it's so over the top. It's so, and the whole, and I, I will say, I'll say it now because I will keep saying this is this whole film is such an attack on the senses. Yeah. It's so over the top. I mean, throughout this scene, it gets really straight to the point. Like, here you go, here's your, here's your death scene. Yeah. It's, you know, so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Mm. It's this big hairy arm. Yeah. Um, stabbing. It's uh, Pat's face against the window mm-hmm. and then smashing through it as she's screaming. The soundtrack is so... So loud. This is absolutely one of the films I'd love to see at the cinema yeah. with a proper sound system, you know, on mm-hmm. the go. Because it's so loud. Everything is so bright. Yeah. It really it really epitomises the film itself because yeah. it's a real attack on the senses. So Pat's friend is also killed after being impaled by falling debris while trying to alert other tenants to the murder. Um, so, yeah, she's crashed through the skylight. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of cinematic parallels here with Tenebrae, um, which I'm very much, you know, Argento style in general. But the image of her laying on the ground with the debris falling onto her and even the bit where Pat's head's first hanging through before she crashes through, mm-hmm. they are direct parallels of two shots in Tenebrae. Okay. It is a very distinct style. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, Susie returns to the school the next morning where she meets Miss Tanner, 
the head instructor, and Madame Blanc, the deputy headmistress. Tanner introduces Susie to Pavlos, one of the school's servants. She also meets classmates Sarah and Olga, her new roommate. Ultimate bitch, Olga. <laughs> what does she say? <laughs> um, so they're all, this is Susie's first day and they're all in, in the changing room and Susie hasn't got her, her shoes on and whatnot. So uh, she's borrowed shoes and they're all getting ready and she talks to Sarah and Olga comes along. And this is very much in keeping with that childish dialogue, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Olga says, <laughs> I can't do a great impression, but she says, Sarah, Susie, I heard that names beginning with the letter S are the names of snakes. <laughs> and then her and Sarah just go, Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do this. Just it's not gonna do this very well. Just a spot on. Did I? Yeah, uh, spot on. <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, another iconic scene. Um, but again, very childish nature of the uh, um, script is coming out, isn't it? Yeah, it just adds which to is the, a little. It just adds to the camp value. It does. It it does read more camp than uh, these women being like children it, it's, it's weird because it's kind of like uh well I, I i know these are like in their 20s they don't look <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um so yeah so uh susie experiences an unsettling encounter with one of the school's matrons and blanc's nephew albert she's very attached to him yes <laughs> before passing out during a dance class um only part of a bit of dancing in the whole film. <laughs> Susie is an absolute mood in this film. I mean, you know, she shows up, she travels all the way to, to Germany to go to this fucking dance school and she turns up, does one bit of fucking dancing, passes out and spends the rest of the film in bed. Yeah. Like, do you know, that is me most days. Jessica Harper, wonderful comedian, Wonderful singer, beautiful actress. Can she dance? Who the fuck knows? She can't be asked. She can't be asked. Can't be asked. Um, she, I'll do your film, but uh, I'm not going to have to dance, am I? <laughs> if I was set in a dance Yeah, you got Dakota uh, Johnson's like, no, oh my no. God. Dakota Johnson had to go to therapy because the dancing was so intense and everything. Jessica Harper's like, nah, don't no. want to. You're going to get a few twirls and then I'll collapse. All right. <laughs> yeah. When she regains consciousness, Susie learns that Olga has thrown her out of her apartment because she's a fucking bitch, forcing her to live at the school with Sarah in the room next door, which I'm sure Sarah was very pleased with. I love how Olga actually lets her go to the apartment first before kicking her out, like before the dancing scene where she's just there like, oh yeah, come look at my fucking fancy apartment once I brush my hair. Yeah, like, she didn't even just, stay one night, <laughs> did she? So just have, you know, just have a look at what you could have and get the fuck out. Um, it is, uh, obviously we've discussed, uh, Olga's death in the remake. Um, Olga probably should have died, but doesn't <laughs> die in this film. Is that like, that's the last we see of her in there. Yeah. She doesn't really do anything else. While the students are preparing for supper one night, maggots rain down from the ceilings of their rooms due to a shipment of spoiled food in the attic, forcing them to sleep in one of the dance studios. In one of the most perfectly executed films from uh, film scenes in from any horror film ever. 
Which, what, the maggots? No, no, the curtains in the dance studio. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. this was redone in Annabelle Creation, I think with a tent, I think it was. Yeah, it was, weren't it? And it's a very good nod, it's a very good yeah. scene, but... This scene, and it it doesn't... Technically, nothing happens, but it builds up so much suspense, and it is so creepy, that, you know, if you scare easily with horror films, this, this is your scene. It's, um... So, they're all in, in camping... So... Shall I actually discuss yeah, the scene? Going. Yeah. So during the night, a woman enters the room, but is obscured by a curtain hung around the room's perimeter. Sarah, frightened by her hoarse and laboured breathing, recognises her as the school's headmistress, who is supposedly out of town. Yeah. So this, they're all like in, like, what would you call them? Camping beds. Or yeah. I don't know how to des- describe them, but they're all there, and um, the light is red. It's just a red light. Mm-hmm. So the idea, the idea is that the lights have been switched off, but there's a nice uh, bright red that's encompassing the whole of the room. And behind this curtain is a shadow of someone who is breathing very, uh, you know, deeply and, and creepily as well. And they're discussing um, this, this person. And uh, it's just... Beautifully set up. Mm. Um, but also the fact that it's, you know, drowned in red, which is obviously, you know, the colour of blood, the colour of danger. You know, we all have associations with the colour red uh, in, in in the West. Um, it's just really well done, isn't it? Yeah. It's really well yeah. done. Um, and also, you know, preempting what happens later yeah. in the film too. Um, so the school's blind pianist, Daniel, is abruptly fired by Miss Tanner when his German shepherd bites Albert. Good. Daniel is stalked by an unseen force while walking through a plaza that night. His dog turns on him and viciously rips out his throat. Which was redone in The Beyond. Yeah, very similar to The Beyond, a blind person being having their neck ripped out by a, um, their seeing eye dog. Um, what a wonderfully set up death scene in the courtyard and there's a lot of shots in the film from very high up Um, it's a very Argento thing anyway isn't it Mm. Uh, but there's this swooping camera I mean he he loves doing things different with with cameras doesn't he yeah and his shots Um, but there's this swoop it's just it's just beautiful really is he didn't deserve it either. The dog should have just fucking he killed didn't, No, it should bastard. have been Olga. Shouldn't it? Yeah. Um, Sarah tells Susie that she was the one on the intercom who refused her entry the night Pat was murdered. She reveals that Pat was behaving strangely before her death and promises to show Susie the notes that she left behind. Sarah finds that Pat's notes are missing and is forced to flee when an unseen assailant enters the room. They pursue her through the school before cornering her in the attic. She escapes through a small window before falling into a pit of razor wire, entangling her and allowing her pursuer to kill her by slashing her throat. Um, another fantastic death yeah. scene, you yeah. know. Um, really de- detailed throat slashing. Yeah, yeah. Um, even this, Even the scene of them in the pool when they're just talking... 
Mm. And when Sarah tells Susie that she was the one on the intercom uh, and that. The soundtrack is so loud. Mm. Even if they're just swimming, that's it, and discussing. It's so loud that it's... The film's not attacking you visually. Even visually, the swimming costumes, the choices of the colours within the the colour of the pool as well. Yeah. Um, but the the fact that the soundtrack is so loud and it it's not, you know, it, it's not a um a light soundtrack in, in any part of the film. Um it it's it's just so well done because you you're kind of expecting something to happen. You know, any anyone who has watched enough films know that when that soundtrack starts, something's going to start, something's going to happen and nothing does happen. No. Which works even more. Yeah. And then, obviously, Sarah's death is another kind of quite iconic scene mm. as well, I think. Um, her tangled up in the razor uh, wire um, is, uh, yeah, um, a horrible way to go, really. Yeah. Um, Susie investigates Sarah's disappearance the next morning. Tanner tells her that Sarah has fled the school. Suspicious, Susie contacts Sarah's friend and former psychiatrist, Frank Mendel. He reveals that the school was established by Greek emigre, Helena Marcos, who was allegedly a witch. Susie also consults with Professor Milius, a professor of the occult. Who looks like Jason Donovan in Old Man Makeup. <laughs> yeah. He reveals that a coven of witches perishes without their leader, from whom they draw power. When Susie returns... This is not the most exciting scene, but it pushes the plot forward, mm-hmm. doesn't it? In a bizarre series of events, in <laughs> this next scene. In a bizarre series of events, when Susie returns to the school, she finds that everyone has left to attend the Bolshoi Ballet. After being attacked by a bat... And having a casual cig after. <laughs> having a casual... If she didn't smoke throughout the rest of the film... So, oh, that was intense. She has a ciggy after killing the bat. And recalling a conversation with Sarah about footsteps... She follows the sound of them carefully, leading her to Madame Blanc's office. Remembering that Pat uttered the words secret and iris the night that she was killed, Susie discovers a hidden door that opens by turning a blue iris on a mural in Blanc's office. Susie enters the corridor and finds the Academy's instructors, led by Madame Blanc, plotting her demise. One of them looks like Kay from Kay's Cooking. One of them absolutely looks like Kay from Kay's Cooking. If you don't know what we're talking about... <laughs> YouTube Kay's you Cooking. YouTube Kay's Cooking. Uh, <laughs> Albert alerts Pavlos to Susie's presence. Susie hides in an alcove where she finds Sarah's disfigured corpse. Pursued by Pavlos, Susie retreats to Helena Marcos's bedroom. Susie finds Marcos sleeping recognising her as the headmistress by her laboured breathing. She accidentally wakes her by breaking a decorative peacock with crystal plumage. A bird of crystal plumage. (laughs) Marcos renders herself invisible and taunts Susie before reanimating Sarah's mutilated corpse to murder her. When flashes of lightning inadvertently reveal Marcos's silhouette, Susie impales her through the neck with one of the peacock's broken glass quills. Marcos's death causes Sarah's corpse to vanish. Susie flees as the school starts to implode. Madame Blanc, Miss Tanner, 
Pavlos and the rest of the covent perish without the power of Marcos to sustain them. Susie escapes into the rainy night as the school is consumed by fire. Poor Kay from Kay's Cooking. Poor Kay from Kay's Cooking. Um, yeah, just what a wonderful series of events. What a... The, the only film to ever... The only film ever made, and I'll, I'll say this, I haven't seen every film ever made, but I'll say this because <laughs> I'm pretty confident this is true. The only film that can blend camp, beautiful, and uh, scary like that. Like yeah. the perfect balance of all three. Yeah. Because, I mean, I honestly think it's one of the most beautiful horror films ever made. Oh my God, yeah. The, no, nothing, nothing has ever been able to imitate that and, you know, succeed it. You know, no. n- nothing has ever surpassed it, should I say. There you go. Um, you know, it, it really is like nothing else. Which is... Why this remake works so much? Because again, this is also like nothing else. Yes. Um, but getting into the remake, twenty eighteen Suspiria Act One, nineteen seventy seven, Susie Banyan arrives in Berlin during the height of the German autumn to audition for the Marcos Dance Academy. Her arrival coincides with the sudden disappearance of a student, Patricia Hingle. Um, who uh, vanished after revealing to her psychotherapist after singing a bit of Nico, uh, Dr. Joseph Klemperer, that the school's matrons are a coven of witches who worship the three mothers. A trio of witches who once roamed Earth, known as Mother Tanabrarum, you want to say that? Mother Lacrimarum, (laughs) and Mother Suspirium, there we go. Uh, And before she leaves... She says, they will hollow me out and eat my cunt on a plate. You're okay? She did. Um, she's played by Chloe Grace Moretz, who, okay, was very sweary and kick-ass, and that was the joke. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's still weird to sort of see that, you know, language come from a young lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very much her thing. I mean, you know, Chloe Moretz is great. She has been in genre films since she started acting. Um, yeah. You know, Amateville Horror. Oh, God, yeah. She was a child in that. Uh, I believe she was in Amusement. Uh, Carrie, she played Carrie in the Carrie remake. She did. Um, you know, she's been in so many horror films and, and you know, violent action films has, has always been her thing, which just makes her role in Tom and Jerry really confusing. She's trying got, to get a legit. She probably got paid more for that role <laughs> in Tom and Jerry than she did for any of the other films. Yeah, she's very briefly in this. Even though she's in all the marketing material, she's very much like, oh, Chloe Moretz is in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is one of those weird things where it was like, actually, anyone probably could have played this role. <laughs> but she, she does a good job. She does a good got. job, but she didn't want much to do. Uh, Susie befriends a wealthy classmate, Sarah Sims, played by Mia Goff, while her dancing attracts attention from artistic director and choreographer, Madame Blanc, of course, played by Tilda Swinton. Yes. We go to Act 2, Palaces of Tears. During a rehearsal, after Blanc greets all the girls with a kiss each... Um, Patricia's friend Olga accuses the matrons of being responsible for Patricia's disappearance as well as practicing witchcraft. She attempts to flee the school only to become trapped in a room. Meanwhile, Susie performs a dance for Madame Blanc 
however, her movements physically inflict damage on Olga's body in very nasty and disgusting ways. Yeah. I think I think if any scene from the films can become iconic, it's that one. Yeah. I remember when we saw this in the cinema, it was quite jarring. Um, because obviously, there wasn't a lot of horror up until this point. No. And then, for this to be your first scene of horror, it lets you know, you know, the heights that it's willing to go to. And it, and it you know it, it surpasses them by the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, it does. Whereas um, the original, it kind of gets to the point very quickly. Yeah. Um, this it it is it 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 did feel very talky to begin. Mm. It was very talky, and then sort of out of nowhere, pretty much this really yeah. gruesome scene happens. The matrons find Olga's mangled body and drag her away with large hooks. Yeah. A very recurring thing in this film, the hooks. Um, they informally elect Mother Marcos, an aging witch who has long ruled the coven over Blanc as the coven's leader. They conspire to use Susie as a host body for Marcos. Susie has a dream which consists of her childhood, the matrons, breaking glass and someone writing letters on a wall in blood. Um, yeah, these dream sequences as well. They're very... Uh, very surreal and very jarring also. Yeah, and and confusing. Yeah. Um, I don't really know what they mean. I'm sure, you know, you could get a good analysis out of it um, if you really paid attention. That sounds bad, but you know what <laughs> I mean. <laughs> wow. We, just let you know, we always pay attention here when we analyse films. Um... <laughs> Act 3. Borrowing. Two detectives arrive at a dance company to investigate Patricia's disappearances while Sarah and Susie look for Patricia's files. This leads to Susie finding the matrons in the room playing around with and laughing at one of the detectives' cock, whilst he and the other detectives are in a trance. Yeah. 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 It is revealed... Just cock. Yeah. It is revealed that Madame Blanc has been sending Susie those fucked up dreams... So she sends us some more, this time involving a fully nude woman with a hook, someone in a white mask, her childhood again, worms, and some bloody images. So, is that Susie's childhood? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Act four, taking. Susie quickly climbs the ranks as Blanc's protégé, earning her the role of the protagonist in Vogue, a much-anticipated dance performance. Meanwhile, Dr. Klemperer becomes suspicious of the matrons and goes to the detectives about it before he seeks Sarah's cooperation to look at Patricia's journals. Yeah, the detectives just think he's a crazy old man. Yeah, even though they were the ones with the dicks out, you know, being laughed at by witches in a trance. Yeah, but they didn't know that. Of course, of course. Um, Miss Griffith, a sheepish matron who looks like the love child of Gail Platt and Deirdre Barlow, commits suicide by stabbing herself in the neck. Yeah, what was that about? <laughs> she didn't agree with what was going on. Oh, okay. Um, clearly. She discovered a... Uh, she? Sarah discovered a concealed corridor leading to the Mooter House. Mooter House? Mooter House? Moody Horse? Mooter House. An inner sanctum where the coven holds their rituals. Ooh. She takes one of the large hooks and brings it to Kem- Klemperer as they look into Patricia's disappearance. 
Susie has a flashback to her mother being blessed by a priest before saying Susie was her sin. Sarah tries to warn Susie about the witches, but she doesn't believe her. Act 5, in the Muta house. All the floors are darkness. On the opening night of Volk, Sarah returns to the sanctum to find Patricia, who is in a withered condition. She is discovered by the matrons before the performance, who manifest holes in the floor, causing her to break her leg with graphic bone breaking out of her leg details. Yeah. Uh, Sarah emerges midway through the performance, dancing her part in a hypnotic trance. Susie and Sarah's eyes seemingly change colours. Sarah's blue and Susie's brown. And at the end, Sarah collapses in pain. Act 6, Suspirium. the performance. Yeah. Whilst dining with the matrons to celebrate the recital... Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I know, yeah. The students are put into a trance except Susie. Klemperer disposes of the hook and Patricia's belongings and returns to his place in East Germany where he encounters Ankh, his wife who went missing during the war, played by Jessica Harper. Ankh reveals that she fled to Bristol after having escaped the Nazis. The couple walk together, they share a kiss. I mean, come on, we get to see Jessica Harper and Thomas Winton having a kiss. Technically, yeah. <laughs> um... And they pass through the border back into West Berlin. When Ankh disappears, Klemperer discovers he has been led to the academy for an impending witch's Sabbath and is in, is ambushed by the matron screaming in his face and stripping him. Yeah. Susie <laughs> is led to the Muta house uh, where she discovers the matrons and incapacitated and very naked Klemperer and the entranced dancers. Yeah, Tilda Swinton gets a dick out. Yeah, yeah. The um, I mean, the effects are very good. very realistic. <laughs> very realistic. <laughs> and in a very bizarre series of events, uh, Sarah, Patricia, and Olga are disemboweled to begin the Sabbath, but Blanc inte- attempts to intervene in the ritual. Enraged, Marcus attacks Blanc by slitting the back of her neck. Susie accepts her fate as Marcus's new vessel, only to reveal herself as Mother Suspirium, there to cleanse the academy of the corrupt Marcus and her supporters. She summons an incarnation of death, killing Marcus with the kiss of death and her faithful followers by making their heads explode. And there is exploding heads everywhere. Yes. Susie opens up her chest to reveal a screaming chest vagina, just like Bloodfeast. Yeah. A blood diner, sorry, blood, blood diner. diner. Olga, Patricia and Sarah die peacefully at Susie's hand as the remaining matrons all die alone um, and, and the other students. Klemperer is released in a confused state and we get the epilogue titled A Sliced Up Pear. Miss uh, Vendergast discovers Blank alive with her head hanging off her body as uh, Miss Boltehar announces Blank's departure to the students. Susie, now as Mother Suspirium, visits Klemperer and reveals that Ankh died uh, after being captured by the Nazis. Upon touching him, Klemperer suffers a seizure that erases his memories, after which Susie leaves. In present day, Klemperer and Ankh's initials are seen carved into the wall of their house, um, or Dacha, as it's called. Dacha, okay. Uh, Unnoticed by its current occupants. And in a post credit scene, Susie is in the streets of Berlin at night, she stares at something dispassionately before reaching out her hand, smiles and walks away. 
clearly setting up a sequel. <laughs> Which I don't think we're going to get. No, I'm probably not. I'm assuming not with that box office. Um, but yeah, again, equally as much of a masterpiece as the original. Um, the third act, when shit goes crazy, you know, it's all in red and that doesn't stop it looking fucking brutal and really gory. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It is so over the top. But then the rest of it, you know, it focuses on telling the story. It really focuses on that. Uh, so it, it works as trying to be a drama, essentially. But we've had it added horror elements. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very much build, 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 build. Yeah. But, and then shit hits the fan yeah. spectacularly. Um, whereas I found with the original, it tends to be at one level yeah. and stays there throughout, um, not really going up or down too much. Um, it's a long film. Yeah. Um, but I loved it. I've, you know, obviously gave it five stars. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, but I can understand why Argento maybe didn't like it. Because the original, even though set in Germany, mm-hmm. very much in keeping with the Italian yeah. horror genre. Very Italian. Yeah. Whereas the remake kind of got rid of all of that. Mm-hmm. There was no aspect of what makes an Argento film and an Argento film. There's really no aspect of what Italian horror kind of represents to us mm-hmm. and represents to us um, because of films like Suspiria. Yeah. Um, so I can understand why he would like, oh, you know, you, you've actually made a very bleak drama yeah. from my very Italian horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can understand why also people don't like it because it's ve- very much coming at it from a very different angle. Yeah. Well, getting into comparisons, uh, again, you're going to have to tally up um, what we give each. Oh, okay. Um, because this is, yeah, this is going to be down to what we give each. We, <laughs> it's, it's too difficult to decide. So, cinematography, scares, kills, and soundtrack. Starting with 1977. Um, again, uh, you know, I've said it once, I'll say it many times, this is one of the most beautiful horror films ever made. And... It works because of its fairy tale feel, its fairy tale surrounding. Um, you know the set pieces, uh, the bright lights, and everything. You know, the inspiration from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs can be seen very clearly. Yeah, you know it. It can. It can be seen, um, and the lighting from the moment the film starts after the opening credits to the moment it ends. It never stops. The the color the the cinematography, much like the soundtrack, feels like an extra character. Yeah. It you know it, it drives the narrative. It lets you know you know certain emotions, certain feelings. It's it's unbelievable. It 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 could again it could never be matched. No, no, it can't. It it's influenced so many filmmakers afterwards. It, you know, we say it 
everybody says it, everyone sees it, that, oh, that's like Suspiria, that is. That's like, yeah. you know, that's like Suspiria. Um, it, it's iconic. It's iconic in yeah. cinematography. Just, yeah. The scares, again, you know, this is a scary film. Um, and still to this day, it's, it's still effective, you know. It, the whole... As much as you have, you know, your in your face scenes of horror, it also delves into what you can't see scares you in certain scenes, and that's where it's at its scariest. Uh, I mean, you know, just, just the the main witch, just her breathing alone, it's scary. Yeah. You know, and and the setup of the color scheme and everything, you know, it. it it really puts you. It puts you in this place where you know you're in this fairy tale world that looks like you know, as bright and vibrant as a child's film, but then all of this happens. And again, you know, with the count value, it throws you off. But then when the horror happens, it's scary. Yeah, yeah. I I I feel very much. And and again, and I'm gonna say it for the last time now, but because it is such an attack on the senses. That's where the fear really comes yeah. from, because it's like you it's all coming at you at once, um really bright, really loud, you know, turn those speakers up when you watch it, um and it's just it can be quite overwhelming, yeah, the kills um you know the practical effects are great, really gory um and, and you know. Go further than some films with dead go these days, especially yeah. with that heart stabbing scene. You know. Yeah, it it doesn't look cheap. Um, no. I, you know, it's references to Giallo that the remake doesn't have. Yeah. Um. So and we all all love a Giallo film, don't we? And the soundtrack is one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Yeah. Across any genre. Yeah. Um, it, it is just flawless. Absolutely flawless. Uh, Goblin are amazing. They they really are. You know they've never done a bad soundtrack, and and this is just one of their best. It really it makes the film. It it really yeah. does. I mean the other aspects are fantastic, um. But that soundtrack is you know on another level. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, twenty eighteen cinematography is bleak and largely colorless, uh, But again, that works for the exact same reason. All of the colours and, you know, the the bright colour scheme in the original works, but just for a different reason, if that makes sense. It works for the same reason, but a complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, it it's... So, whereas the original is sort of confined to one place, which is the Dance Academy, and then you, you have a couple of different scenes outside of the Dance Academy... But it's very much in keeping in, in there. And, and let's be honest, that Dance Academy could have been in any single country. Yeah. It, it didn't really matter that it was in Germany. But in the remake, the fact that that, you know, Dance Academy is in Germany mm. and in Germany in 1977, it's very much um, of importance to the plot. Yeah. But also to the style and the look of the film. Yeah. Um, the streets are very empty. It rains a lot. It snows a lot. Yeah. 
Um, and that's why there is a really bleak, colourless, very grey tone to the film. Yeah. Because it's, its setting is paramount to, you know, it, the film itself. It, yeah. It's really important to the film itself, that setting. And it, it adds another layer to what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the change up for the cinematography when it gets to that third act um, and we just get the all red, it it packs a bigger punch. Yeah. It packs a bigger punch. Um, you know, obviously the original is consistent with its light and whatnot. And then to have that random change in the, in the remake, it really works. It really does. Yeah. The, the original is a, a fantastical film. Mm. It's over the top. It's at times ridiculous, which which is no insult. Um, it's completely unbelievable, you, you know. Yeah. Whereas the remake, kind of feels, and I by the end, obviously it's gone batshit crazy, but it feels more real, and there's more realism to yeah. it, and it feels more realistic. Yeah, and, and scares, you know, this probably delves more into disturbing than your typical scary horror yeah. film. Um, again, because the rest of the film is grounded in realism so much, these random scenes of horror thrown in, exactly. they're, they're more disturbing. Yeah. Uh, you know, impressive effects. And the kills, I don't... There's a body count of 14, but I still don't think there's as many... That's obviously all the exploding heads at the end. I don't feel like there's as many kill scenes in this. No. Um, but when they do happen, you know, the the leg breaking and the, the exploding heads and obviously Olga's scene, it's, it is brutal. And these effects look so good. They do, actually. The soundtrack is a grower. Uh, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of the soundtrack when I first heard it. It's uh, composed by Tom York from Radiohead. And he sings on it, which I thought was a really weird choice. It's That isn't as good as the first film. No. But it is not a bad soundtrack by any means. No, no. I'm, you know, I think it's uh, commendable that they didn't try to just remake the first film soundtrack. Yeah. They went at it in a different... And again... That's because it's a different tone. The film has a, a completely different tone. So if they're going to go for the over-the-top soundtrack, like the original, it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah. So it's more muted, um, very in keeping with the tone and the style of the film. But it's, you know, kind of forgettable. Yeah. So scoring them up, cinematography, I'm going to say... that. Keep in mind, you know, when we're comparing all these, I, I genuinely think both are phenomenal. Um, cinematography, I'm going to go with the original, but only because it's just... There's nothing else you could compare it to. That mm. It is like nothing, you know, yeah. ever. It's such a big part of the film. Um, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Because as far as I know, no, I wasn't alive in 1977, but in terms of horror film, there hadn't been anything like it no. that I've seen. No, and, and films are still trying to imitate it to this day. Yeah. 
You know, neon lighting is such a popular thing amongst horror and even stuff like fucking Drive, you know, it's not even a horror film. It, it's, it is, you know, it's trendy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All these years later. It's, you know, it, it's just, it, it's iconic in its use of colour. It, it's, and I keep saying iconic and I, I do apologise because it sounds wanky as fuck. But it is iconic. Yeah. It, it, it really is. It's one of those films where you can use that term and not be using it lightly. Scares. Oh, what are you going to go with? I didn't find the original film particularly scary. But I also didn't find the remake particularly scary. I did find it creepy, though. Mm. So I, I would give it to... The remake, mainly because Olga wets herself. Yeah. And I hate that. It really creeps me out. Yeah. Scenes it's, like that. It's disturbing. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely, the remake gets scares. Yeah. Kills. It's a very fucking difficult one. Yeah. I'm going to make this choice only because there's more of it. I'm going to say the original, but only because you get your, your dog ripping the throat out, um, you know, the whole Sarah thing before she's brought back to life, the razor wire and everything, um, the, the stabbing through the heart. Again, the, like the stabbing through the heart scene, where is that these days? You know, yeah. to this day, that, that hasn't been, you know, met. No. And it's it's just for me it's good classic horror film kill scenes. Yeah. You know, you get your setup, you get your payoff, um, and you know, I I love that in a horror And film. it's close, it's close because again, Olga's death scene is, is disgusting. It is, yeah. I, I just uh, you know, by by the end you've had Olga's death scene mm. and that that's pretty much it in terms of classic kills, you know? That's not what the film's about. Yeah. It's not what the film's about. And soundtrack is an easy one, of course, that goes to the Goblin score from the original. It has to be. Um, That's the only easy one in that category. Um, okay, so moving on to characters. For Susie Banyan, we have Jessica Harper in 1977 and Dakota Johnson in 2018. Yeah, I think Jessica Harper just does that childlike, naive, innocent um, character so well in the original Suspiria. I think it was absolutely what Dario Argento was going for. She's got those big, bright eyes. Um, she she looks younger than her years, or at least feels younger than her years. Um, I feel so... Susie in the original is kind of like a, a perfect um, final girl um, for not trying to Americanize everything <laughs> but you know in terms of a slasher film she's very resourceful um, she's very strong-willed um, she saves herself in the end which I always love in a horror film um, I also find that in the remake um, Susie 
almost feels like she's damaged already when she gets there. You can tell there's a history. You can tell that she's been through it before she's, you know, even really introduced to us as a character. And Dakota Johnson does that really well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a close one because they're both fantastic performances. I mean... Dakota Johnson's version of the character reminds me a lot of Florence Pugh in Midsummer in the way that you've got your character that's damaged from the get-go, but then, you know, you, you root for her the entire film, but by the time the ending comes around, it leaves you with some moral questions, because this character that we've come to like is, is you know, she's happy, she's got a smile on her face, but in Susie's case, you know, she's making heads explode here, there, and everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, you got to ask if it's, if it's the right path for her to go down, but she seems happy, so, you know, there's a character you'd like. And I think that's just an interesting layer to that character. And, I mean, Dakota Johnson's just fantastic, but I think Jessica Harper wins because, I mean, you know, as I've said, she's amazing. One of my favourite actresses, and she does the role, you know, she's just perfect in the role. Yeah, and I find Dakota, um, I find Susie in the remake... Uh, at times isn't even actually the main character. Um, there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. I mean, they've got a whole extra hour to fill compared to the original, and it looks at different characters as well. So, whereas in the original, Susie is at the centre, is the heart of the, the piece, but in the remake, there's more going on other than Susie. So, uh, yeah... I, I would give it I would give it to Jessica Harper. Of yeah. Course. Uh, Madame Blanc is played by Joan Bennett in nineteen seventy seven and Tilda Swinton in twenty eighteen. Of course, Tilda Swinton also plays Doctor Kemperer as well. And this is this is probably the easiest one out of all our comparisons, other than the soundtrack, of course. Um, I mean, Tilda Swinton, what well, you know, she her performance is everything for both characters. Yeah, love love Tilda. Love Tilda. She is perfect in everything she is. Yeah. She genuinely is. And a lot of the time she's the best thing about everything she is. There's a real conviction to her acting um, that you don't always get. Um, she completely dedicates herself to a role. As far as I know. I mean, I don't know her personally. Um, but... To, to play an old man so perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, with her character as well, she sort of becomes a protagonist by the end where you're at the point where she's trying to stop what's about to happen when everything goes crazy. She's trying to help Susie and tell her you don't have to do this. Uh, and, you know, her own character, she's being pushed back by um, this old witch who is, you know, always getting ahead of her and being the head of this dance academy where, you know, obviously her character wants to be there. And that adds a really interesting layer to that character. Yeah, and it is a, a more layered character. Uh, whereas in the original, and, and Joan Bennett is a, a great actress. Um, she's classic Hollywood. Um, it must have been quite a coup for um, uh, Dario Argento to get Joan Bennett in, in the film. You know, she she's classic Hollywood. Um, but she she does a great job uh, with the little that she's given. She isn't given a lot to do. No. Um, she's quite scary, actually. Um, very much whatever happened to baby Jane. <laughs> like, that, that face is 
covered in makeup, yeah. full coverage, um, intense stare. Um, so she does a good job. She just doesn't have much to do. And, you know, there ain't many times I ain't going to um, side with Tilda. <laughs> yeah, so Tilda Swin is the winner. Yes. Uh, that brings us to our final character. Just, just a, a little add. Uh, I also find in the original, because we're not talking about Miss Tanner, are we? No. Because she's not really that much of a, a character in the remake, but she is more in the original. And uh, Madame Blanc, I, I think in many uh, scenes, is overshadowed by Miss Tanner. Uh, played by uh, Alida Vali, um, who's quite a very seasoned actress. We saw her in um, Eyes Without a Face. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, great actress. She does a, a wonderful job. Um, so I just wanted to give a little credit there um, to her. Yeah. And that brings us to Sarah, who is played by Stefania Cassini in 1977 and Mia Goff in 2018. Uh, it's very much the case of, again... I think Mia Goth is given more to do in the remake uh, to the point she even takes on the role that Susie has in the original. Yeah. Um, you know, she's doing the investigating. She's getting to the bottom of what's going on. She finds the, the coven where they're hiding out. Um, and, and Mia Goth is just such a great actress. I mean, Stefania Cassini is also really good. Yeah, she, she does a good job. She's very much the sidekick. Yeah. Uh, apart from her death scene, there aren't actually any scenes where she's not with Susie. Um, so she's very, very much a supporting actress. And she does it well. She does scared. She does juvenile really well. There's just, there's not really much to go on. No. Whereas with Mia Goth in the remake, um, it's very much in keeping with what uh, Luca Guad- Guadino... Guagina. Uh, um, Guagina. I'm, I do apologise thoroughly for my pronunciation. But very much in keeping with what the director uh, wanted to do and made it a film about women. It, it's about women um, and multifaceted women, mm. which is why more of the side characters are given more to do yeah. and more time um, because it's looking at different facets of what it is like to be a woman. Yeah. Uh, whereas with the original, it's very much Susie's story. Susie is the centre, uh, which works, you yeah. know, which works, um, because it's not going for the same thing as the remake does. Uh, Amir Gar, fantastic actress. Um, she reminds me very much of Shelley Duvall, uh, which, if you know me, I, I love Shelley Duvall, so it's very much a compliment. Um, where she's got that unusual, unusual look, and she does a very uh, model esque, and she's a good dancer as well. She gets yeah. her her dances in, um, and yeah, and I love her voice. I love her voice. I wish she'd do sort of like audio books and stuff. I love the way she says things. So that brings us to our overall result, and if my count is right, then that means the original is the winner but this it's uh, very close eight to six it's very the the closest anything's ever been on our original versus remake episodes absolutely and i i think it's it's because we sort of um we we enjoy looking at the characters and the characterization we find it very important um so the remake kind of won on that count didn't it yeah um whereas with style and and everything we we did go for the original but it's very very even and, and like i said before you know grasping at straws 
to really find um, a better or, or worse of the two. Yeah. And uh, they're both available on Amazon Prime, so absolutely go and watch both of them. Just don't expect both to be the same film. No, no. Or check out my Instagram, uh, where Gary got me a beautiful edition on Blu-ray of both films. 4K. 4K, 4K. as well. Um, like, really amazing. So follow me on Instagram and have a look at that post I made. Um, I'm looking at it now. It's uh, gorgeous, gorgeous box set. Why are you randomly looking at your Instagram? No, I'm looking at the box set. Oh! Like, like, right there. I can see it. I right thought in front you were looking at that Instagram post. No, you oh, just reminiscing whilst recording. Uh, <laughs> I'm not fully engaged. I'm sorry. Of course, it's right there. You can see yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's true. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the 4K restorations for both are fucking stunning. Oh, yeah. Absolutely oh, and the amazing. sound on yeah. them is great. Is, is it limited edition? I'm, 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 I I'm believe so. Selling something. Get, get on Amazon. Get, get on Amazon just in case. Yeah. You never know. Um, but yes, so that is Suspiria. Now it's time for our best and worst of the month. Uh, I think we're very much the same with both. I think I completely agree with your list, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the best of the month is The Father, the Oscar-winning uh, Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman film about an elderly man who has dementia and his daughter um, looking after him uh, to a certain extent, but it's pretty much, um, and it's no spoiler, you're in his mind for the entire film. Yeah, um, it's very much in keeping with... Um that style of film where we're in the main character's head and we don't necessarily know it to begin with. Yeah. Um, just really uh, fascinating, expertly acted. I mean, like, everyone in this film is on top form, but Anthony Hopkins is something else. Yeah. Uh, very deserved Oscar, I have to say. Um, he's, yeah, impeccable. Really a, a great film. Heart-wrenching at times. Um, fascinating character study as well, you know. Um, really well made. Yeah, very yeah. good. And it's, it's my new film of the year. I mean, it, you know, it's not a nice film by any means. Um, but it's not meant to be. You know, no. it raises awareness for dementia. Um, and also, you know, the way it handles the subject is so careful and, you know... It's so loving to not just the people who go through dementia, but also the people around them as well. It's yeah, yeah it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, I I highly recommend watching it. Uh, and the worst just of the take, m- just take a packet of tissues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the worst of the month is a film that everyone is claiming to be some form of masterpiece. It's nobody. Yeah, we seem to be in the minority on this one. Um, but I just, I didn't get it. I didn't it's get just what it was going It's just as for. simple as been there, done it, wore a t-shirt. It's, it's, it is a copy and paste of so many other action films. And it doesn't use its influences in a good way either. It just straight up copies them. And it, it, it felt like I was watching something I'd seen a thousand times before. It genuinely did. I, d- I just, I didn't really get what it was doing. Um, and I wasn't, I, I mean... I wasn't particularly entertained. No, boring. He was, kind of. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it was lost on me. You know, 
you know, that's the beauty of films. Not everyone's going to agree all the time. No. Uh, I mean, lucky enough, we did. So that's, yeah. that if is you, our best and worst of the month. If, if you trust our opinion, go to the or go watch The Father. Don't go watch Nobody. <laughs> uh, so honourable mentions, uh, we have the likes of The Amusement Park, Romero's Lost Film that's only just been released and would have been my best of the month if it wasn't for The Father. Uh, to Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Julie Newmar, um, Wesley Snipes in drag. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, there's other actors in drag as well, but Wesley Snipes is the biggest standout. You wouldn't believe you're watching Wesley Snipes. No, no. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's making fun of anyone. No, no. It, it's it genuinely, a, it's a real heartwarming very much a sit down and the family can watch kind of film yeah. that just makes you feel a, a bit better afterwards yeah so good so good the birdcage uh, a remake that surpasses the original yeah butcher bacon nightmare maker uh absolute camptastic fun <laughs> horror that's actually surprisingly intense as well um ridiculous though yeah, it's so ridiculous. Very good. Queer horror, Very yeah. Gay. Queer horror. Paris is Burning, fantastic documentary. Uh, erotic ghost story. Does what it says on the tin. Exactly. Um, shit crazy. Um, category three. Yeah. Uh, ghost erotic story. Yeah, with some <laughs> vagina close-ups. You know we yeah. love that on this podcast, apparently. <laughs> um, the Devils, one of the best films I've ever seen. Uh, no exaggeration. And they're playing with fire. Yeah, um, good old they're playing with fire. I'd already seen The Devils, but The Devils is one of the best films ever, so watch it. Uh, they're playing with fire is... Um, stars Sybil Danning, and you know we love Sybil well, Danning. Yeah, we I love mean, a cult film Listen to our Chaining episode. Yeah, you know we love a cult film actress. Um, I highly recommend her Twitter, by the way. Um, I'll explain why. Because she tends to take news stories and kind of makes it all about herself in a way. So, for example, if there was a news story on gun control, she would have a uh, a tweet and the tweet would be, you know, um, laws changed on gun control, yada, yada, yada. Here's me in a bikini with an AK-47 <laughs> from the film Malibu Express. And she tends to do this for all of them. And sometimes it's a real stretch. So oh, her be... latest one's the best one. <laughs> so it might be like Kate Middleton wearing a red dress. Here's me in a red dress. <laughs> and has it side by side. It's it's fantastic. Throw shade at Madonna the other day. She did. A little, I didn't appreciate that. Um, but I, I, I love her and her Twitter is amazing. And they're playing with fire. We kind of thought it was just going to be a bit of a, uh, like, shitty teen comedy. Um, but, like, an uncomfortable one. That, you know the ones that came out in the 80s when the age gap was, like, really creepy? Um, and essentially it starts off like that. It starts off like a bad porn. Yeah. And then <laughs> suddenly becomes a slasher film. Um, but then also kind of a little bit of everything else as well, thrown together. It's not a great film, but fucking hell, it's a fun film to watch. Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) I 
I love how we got more podcast time out of that film than we did The Devils, which is arguably one of the greatest films of all time. Um, well, we might even get even more time for it, because I think it's, it's destined to be a horror cool trash of a classic. We'll have to do an episode. We'll have oh, to do Simple Dan in Month. That would be good. Or just dedicate a whole uh, episode to Sybil Danning. An episode's... What? Do you want it to go on for about four hours? Well, just... Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like uh, Halloween 2, Stover Werewolf Bitch, deserves a whole podcast episode. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think we could go on a good while about that. Um, But that is this month's Original Versus Remake episode. For next month's Original Versus Remake, we are going with a theme for the entire month which will be shitty superheroes. So we're going to discuss the worst of the worst when it comes to superhero films, celebrating uh, the release of Black Widow. And is the Suicide Squad coming out in July as well? I think, either way, there's a lot of comic book films oh coming out this God, year. Oh my God, any fucking month of the year uh, recently. Yeah. This, this, year's, should... well, this year has been great for superhero films. So we're going to talk about the shit ones. Yeah, I mean... There's a superhero film coming out every other fucking day. Yeah. And then you have the TV series, so you get an episode every week. So every month is superhero month, but we're dedicating July to shitty superhero films. Yeah, so just in case you've had enough of seeing good superhero films. So we're talking about Listen Tilda Swinton in Doctor Strange. Wow. Well, no, listen... I'm joking, joking, joking. Listen to us talk about the shit ones. Yes. Um, that brings us to Original vs. Remakes for next month which will be a threesome special where we're discussing all three versions of the Fantastic Four. Yes. And yes, um, they, they are remakes. You've seen... I haven't seen any of them. Yeah. Um, I've seen the middle one. That's a Jessica Alba one. Yeah. Only the gays call it Jessica Alba. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll be back with that next month. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It's Pride Month. You know, be kind to your fellow gays. Like and follow on everything else. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. And we'll be back on Tuesday, joined by our final guest for Pride Month for our final episode of this year's Pride Month, uh, where we'll be joined by Jack Taylor, who is a scare actor, and we'll be discussing Hellraiser 1 and 2, the only good Hellraiser films. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, no, you're right. It's a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, an, it's an actual fact. Midnight. You, you two weirdos always wait for us at midnight and listen to us. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know who you are. Please it. let us know. Please let us know. I mean, I, I am flattered. Absolutely yeah. Flattered. Um, yeah, so Tuesday, we will be back. Bye.